Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, steps cabin owners need to take to prep for winter, and Golden Gopher senior offensive lineman Connor Olson is named one of the national semifinalists for the prestigious William V. Campbell Trophy. But first, an extended conversation with Governor Tim Walls on COVID-19 and its impact on Minnesota. How are you and your family doing? I guess I'm curious what what sort of personal direct impact this has had on, on you and your family. Well, first of all, thank you for asking. And like so many Minnesotans, um, I, you know, we're, I've got a daughter in college at the University of Minnesota. Um, she's isolating and with her uh, pod of, of roommates. And then I've got a, an eighth grader who is in the St. Paul schools and he is in distance learning. Um, we have uh, some of the advantages, obviously, of, of having folks that, that help maintain our schedule. Um, but I think for like so many, I'm, I'm missing Friday night football games. Um, my family, my mom is had a procedure at the Mayo Clinic where we were able to get her over there and, and get her safe. And I, I worry, you know, for her exposure, like I think others do for their parents. But but overall, we're we're doing well. And I think what folks need to recognize is is that those who don't have access to quality health care or are in jobs that put them at high risk, it, it's a different experience. So once again. Um, you know, we're certainly pleased the president's recovering, but understand that if if some folks get infected, they're not going to have that same experience. The, the president says, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. I just wanted to get your response to that. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't want people to live their lives by fear. And we figured out a way in Minnesota and continue to try to uh, to resume as much normalcy as we can. But I certainly don't want people to take it that this isn't a serious threat. It has infected over 100,000 of our neighbors here in Minnesota and killed over 2,000 of them. We don't know the long-term damage that's caused, um, even if you get this and get over it. And um, we're still trying to protect those most vulnerable. So um, I, I, I hope that the president uh, understands, and I'm glad he got the care, and it looks like he is recovering, which I certainly am, am hopeful and glad of. But... Um, not everybody has access to that care, and not everybody will respond the same way. So this is still a pandemic. Uh, it is still impacting uh, our country disproportionately than others who have taken precautions like masking and social distancing. And um, so, again, it's not about living in fear, but it's being uh, cautious and respectful, especially for others' health um, in spreading it to them. That's what I'm, I'm most concerned about, the disregard for giving it to others. Uh, an individual cavalier attitude is one thing. A cavalier attitude with others' health is simply unacceptable. Obviously, COVID has been a an evolving situation since we've been dealing with it. It changes from week to week, sometimes day to day, hour to hour. I'm curious uh, what the latest issue tied to COVID is that you're watching or particularly concerned about even just this week. Well, first of all, the the upper Midwest numbers elevating. Minnesota's remained at a a relatively stable but elevated rate. Um, Wisconsin has has skyrocketed. Uncontrolled spread is the the term that they use in the medical community. They are now third in just raw numbers behind Texas and California, which obviously have much larger populations. We're seeing the same thing happen in in South Dakota and and North Dakota. So the upper Midwest 
is what started out in the Northeast, then moved to the South, and now it's us. Uh, I also am tracking, and as we move back indoors, um, what's going to happen and how are we doing filtration, whether it's you know UV lighting or those types of things, that is a concern. Um, and we're also, though, simultaneously figuring out how do we make things work like schools, which, again, we're you're right. It, it We monitor it literally hour by hour, update our data, um, work with our partners both in health and in those local communities. And then Minnesota was one of the states chosen, one of the five states chosen to try and prepare what it's going to look like to institute a widespread uh, immunization once we get the vaccine. Uh, what's that supply chain going to look like storage? How are we going to prioritize who gets that? So those are the things right now. But uh, we're just in this long, steady hold of, of higher elevation. The thing today, the, the not great news was, is we reached a high above 38 of community spread, meaning we can't trace back to where people got this. And I, I go back to where we were in March and, you know, immunology 101 here. The goal is to break the spread of this, to reduce the numbers so small that one person maybe only infects one other instead of one person infecting two or three and then that exponential growth. And so we're still not to where we need to be, both as a state and as a country, uh, but but we're holding. You have opted to extend emergency powers several times. Obviously, bringing politics into this particular pandemic is, is something that people are a little bit wary of. You've been facing criticism from state Republicans how do you justify continuing to extend those emergency powers, and, and when does that end? Well, the pandemic's not over, and every other state and the federal government are in a state of emergency. So this is, you know, that a bit of political posturing. And just to be clear, they, these powers are granted through the democratic process, through the through the legislature and the Constitution. And just so what they do is, it was those emergency powers that allows me to partner with the Mayo Clinic, University of Minnesota, to maintain and expand our statewide testing program that's one of the best in the country. It allows me to activate the National Guard to test in um, long-term care facilities. I did enhanced protections that I was able to use for veterans' homes. It's what I do every day when I'm purchasing uh, personal protective equipment and critical supplies. It protects us in the eviction moratorium, allowed us to add the $300 uh, supplemental to um, unemployment insurance, and, and just so many numerous things. Uh, I, I am all about partnering, and people who know me know that I have a long reputation of working bipartisanly. But let's be very clear. Um, what Republican legislators want is nothing to be done. They've said it. No mass mandate. Open every school. Allow people to do whatever they want. Um, those are the very same people that put people at risk on planes this week that are now in quarantine because they didn't wear a mask and came in contact. So um, this will be over for our nation and for the state, and, and we certainly can change how we go about things. But I am fine trying to figure out ways, and I certainly want the legislature to take more responsibility. But my first responsibility as governor is the safety and security of Minnesotans, and I have to follow the health guidance. I have to follow the experts. Um, if it's a choice between Republican senators not wanting to wear a mask and the Mayo Clinic and the CDC saying that reduces spread, I'm going to go with the CDC and use those emergency powers to do so. More of my interview with Governor Tim Walls when Minnesota Matters returns. 
Tim Veldi is a Minnesota farmer from Henley Falls and director on a rural electric co-op board. Rural electric co-ops were formed to provide electricity to rural Minnesota when no one else would do it and have now gone into trying to get broadband across rural Minnesota. Small businesses and students rely on it, especially now. When Congress put all that at risk with a tax law that ended up hurting rural communities, Senator Smith was the first person we went to. Senator Smith listened to us, understood our problem, crafted a bill and got it passed and signed into law with bipartisan support. Senator Smith was instrumental in saving economic development for rural Minnesota families. Senator Smith is great to work with. She wants to understand the problem. She wants to fix the problem. I'm Tina Smith, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Paid for by Tina Smith for Minnesota. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and now part two of my interview with Minnesota Governor Tim Walls. In terms of extending the powers for another 30 days and calling a special, another special session, what have you decided on that that you can share with me? Yeah, and I think for your listeners to know, this was a, a pretty gray area. I chose to take the conservative approach to this and bring them back. I think there's a lot of legal scholars said that I would not necessarily have to do that, but I bring the legislature back to vote on those powers every 30 days. Um, I think maybe as your listeners know, instead of coming back and finding ways to partner, um, the Republican Senate took out commissioners who were in charge of managing health, ensuring safe learning in schools, distributing unemployment insurance, small business loans. They took public servants who were doing the job they were supposed to do and had no critiques over their performance um, in their own words as a payback to me for asking people to wear a mask and test them for COVID. So um, I am concerned that that they may choose to do that. I think, again, there is going to be a day of reckoning with the public saying, why can't we just work together to get this? Why can't they help me figure this out? I'm more than happy to let them do that. If they have a better way that they can do testing for Minnesotans and they want to run it through the legislative process. Um, I have been open to that from the beginning. Um, But there is, again, when asked what they would do differently, they would just do nothing. Um, That simply isn't going to cut it. Uh, What would you say to uh, business owners in Minnesota who have been struggling as a result of COVID-19? Obviously, we've had a lot of people going out of business as a result of it. Uh, People struggling in business. What's your message to those folks? Well, my heart goes out to them, and and it is happening. Um, It's falling disproportionately on small and family-owned businesses. It's especially hard in hospitality, um, places where gathering people in close spaces is how their business is made. And it's, it's also those things that we enjoy doing the best. Um, I would say that the, the virus uh, is pretty amoral. It does not care that businesses are going out. It does not care. It just wants to spread. And so like every other nation on earth and most states, we've tried to strike the proper balance between health and um, the economy. And so the idea, and I I just want to be clear, you can look at the numbers, states that did not put capacities on restaurants or or things like that, they're not seeing any more business activity because this is about consumer confidence and most people are not going to go back to a place where they think they'll be sick. The trick to this and the science and art to this was is to strike the proper balance, which we're trying to do in Minnesota. And I'm right now 
talking to a lot of these business owners, talking to health experts, talking to, you know, folks who understand physical space around this disease of what happens to these restaurants now that we can't eat outside and we move back in. And so what I would tell them is continuing to work with us. We need to have the next stimulus plan. I would ask the federal government to do what Fed Chairman Powell and every other nation on earth has done. If we ask people to stay home, um, we need to make sure that there's support there because the reason we asked them to stay home was to stop the spread of the virus. There, this, this idea that we can just pretend that it'll go away or this magical thinking, it will not. And, and because the United States took a 50 straight haphazard approach to this, we're stuck here. We, we have states, countries around the world totaling over 100 million people, five or six countries that have less infections than the White House has. Um, there is a way to do this and a way not to do it. And unfortunately, in the United States, we pick uh, everybody's kind of on their own. So I would tell those business owners, this is this is unacceptable that we got into this situation. We need to move as quickly as we can. Nothing we think just economically is going to stop the virus spread, but we can do some of the things we've done in Minnesota. While bars and restaurants were closed in their entirety in Florida and then opened up and then closed and then opened up, Minnesota has continued to turn that dial. And, and it's my hope that we don't have to go back the other way. But once again, the virus will determine that. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Governor Tim Walls. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As Minnesotans button up their cabins for the season, reporter J.W. Cox tells us about one step that might be missed by cabin owners planning for the future of your property. Scott, while he stops short of saying you need a so-called specialist in cabin law to get the future of your lake place in order, Duluth-based attorney Chris Dahlberg did tell me it helps to craft an estate plan with an attorney who knows the potential issues and frustrations that might arise and how to stave them off. You know, the biggest thing I'm looking at is we do estate planning. And so this is the time where people are starting to say, you know, maybe this is my last year at the cabin. How do I transition this to the family in the future? Uh, and they want to have an orderly uh, transition. And the biggest thing I'm seeing out there is uh, I like to joke that while we're Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes, they're not making any new lakes. So it really is getting to be one of the most valuable legacies or heirlooms that you can leave to your family. And so uh, people, when they're doing their estate planning, not only thinking about their house and their bank accounts and, uh, you know, their stock portfolios, but they're starting to say, what about that cabin and how do I transition it? So that's, you know, as they're getting ready, it's kind of the last thoughts of uh, buttoning down the hatches and thinking, well, you know, this cabin's really been nice, but uh, I'm getting at the point where I can see years down the road, we're just, we're you know, we're going to have to either sell it or there's going to be a transition following our death. So how do we do this? What's the basic information that people need to have on hand and in mind as they start this process? What we say with clients, and we're doing a lot of the estate planning, is say, we need for a starting point the legal descriptions of, of your property. And that's not like what the actual mailing address is, but it might be a lot one block six. And it's just, you know, what division it's at. And you, and that can usually be on, a, on a, a contract that you had or an old mortgage, and it'll say legally described at. So bring that in is, is the legal description. And from there, we just go from that. And we just have the meeting is it's getting the idea from people 
you know, what is the interest in their family? Because they might have kids scattered to the wind across the country. Some might have no interest in the cabin. Others might have a greater interest. And so how do you do something fairness? Maybe you want the kids to have a chance to get in there. Uh, some of them, uh, maybe you want to have a buyout option so that uh, somebody's just not left out of the inheritance. Uh, and it's unfair. Maybe there's a person out in California that never uses the Minnesota, you know, cabin. How do you kind of compensate or equalize your estate? Why is it important to make a plan in the first place? Well, yeah, the unfortunate thing is if you don't plan ahead and, you know, there starts to get dispute following your death. And, you're, of course, you're going to be dead. You're not going to know about it. But that's about the the biggest disservice you can do. And, and the real thing that's the negative is litigation. I, we see a lot of this where it's it's families, and it's not only the children, but now it's the daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws that got married into that. And they're starting to fight. They're starting to hire attorneys. It's getting to be expensive. So it's better you have a thoughtful plan ahead of time. Chris, can you give us an example of a potential issue or scenario that might arise with no plan? A lot of times people will, uh, the, the kids will have, maybe there's five kids in a family. And mom and dad years ago gave them the cabin or they got it. And one of the things people should be checking is there's a difference between joint tenancy and tenants in common. And so, you know, most married couples have their property in joint tenancy. And what that means is if one person dies, you know, the other joint tenant gets it. Well, the problem with is if you have five kids is if one or two of those kids die and it's in joint tenancy, their kids or grandkids are basically written out of the picture. So it's kind of the last man or woman standing gets the cabin interest. So in those cases, when I do estate planning, I'll say, you, you want to do what's called severing joint tenancy. And what that means is we want to have it now as tenants in common. So if there's five siblings, you'd have a one-fifth interest undivided tenants in common. And the, why that's unique is this is, gives you a, a chance to pass the legacy down at least if it hasn't been established with your siblings. So I'm seeing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, disputes among siblings because it goes on years later. There wasn't a thoughtful plan. Now they're arguing, and somebody says, I want out. Another one says, you need to pay for the roof that we're putting on, and you've been contributing, and that's where all the mess comes. So it really gets to be an interesting area. But just a little bit of you know thoughtful planning in advance really can save some heartache. What should people look for in finding someone who might be qualified and capable of helping them with a plan that involves their family cabin? Sometimes people call themselves cabin law, but I think more you need an attorney that's that's very well versed in estate planning that does this extensively because it's not only going to be dealing with your cabin, but how do you do the transition of the family home? How do you address things like medical assistance? Is there going to be issues of estate taxes, capital gains? So you want somebody that doesn't just dabble in estate planning, but really has some knowledge in it because because most cabin trusts or even if it's an LLC, it, it sort of flows out of a, an estate planning process. And so that's just, I've been doing this for many years up here in Duluth, Minnesota, but what we're seeing more of is, is in the past, people didn't really have as, as much of a detailed interest on the cabins. Now they're starting to say, I want to plan. I want to see how we can continue this legacy. And so that's a, that's a new thing. And I think it gets to be people are really seeing how valuable this, the, the land is in the cabin and the fact they're not making any more of these lakes in Minnesota. Basic message for cabin owners, Scott, before they head home this fall, bring in the dock, lock the doors, and have a plan. Back to you. Thanks, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gophers senior offensive lineman Connor Olson of Monticello, Minnesota, has been named one of the national semifinalists for the prestigious William V. Campbell Trophy, recognizing a senior or graduate student as the best football scholar-athlete in the country. Olson already has his undergraduate degree in a double major of human physiology and biology, society and environment. He's now working on an advanced degree in public health administration and policy. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Olson, first asking him about his recruitment to the in-state Gophers. There was never really a question of playing here. It's just a question of whether or not uh, the University of Minnesota wanted me to play here. <laughs> so going through the recruiting process, right, uh, I, I was relatively undersized. I was a fullback up until my sophomore year in high school as a 6'590 pounder. And that doesn't really stack up for a Big Ten offensive lineman. But then I finally got moved to offensive line, and then I started hitting the weight room a lot more. Uh, you know, the line that was uh, tweeted around back in the day was peanut butter sandwiches and chocolate milk. So I managed to put on about 60 pounds, so I camped here. Uh, after I put on that weight and I camped here at a successful camp, uh, once that spring rolled around, they, uh, they finally offered me, once they saw that I could put on a healthy amount of weight, and, and they offered me, I committed two days later. I wanted to commit on the phone the moment they offered me, but my parents said to wait a little. <laughs> for me it wasn't even a question i i've never understood why it would be a question personally i mean like this is where i wanted to go i grew up watching go for football and so for a chance to be in be able to play on that team the moment they wanted me i i knew it was here you've started basically every game of your career uh you've been you know as we mentioned versatile up front uh you've graded out great i know the uh the, the independent folks whether it's pro football focus or what have you have have graded you well um, what about your background do you think? You mentioned you went from fullback to a lineman. Uh, what about your Minnesota background do you think has molded you into, into the, the player and the person you are today? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, the big, my high school coaches, you know, and, of course, like this culture as well. So, I mean, the biggest thing, right, I mean, you know, in this culture we talk about the how, right? The how trumps everything. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. And, I mean, you see that now, too, and other guys on the offensive line, too, like John Michael Schmitz. At center, like when he's playing, I mean, the amount of effort that that guy puts into every play, and like you see that it radiates out among the O line. I think that's probably the key thing, and you know that that's the thing that uh, that's the thing that goes over everything. I'm sorry, now Sam's peeking in on this interview too. You got all your roommates trying to tease you here, huh? Yeah, I got a lot of traffic going on. <laughs> well, that's good. Who are all your roommates? You're in your apartment now, your dorm. 
So, yeah, I'm living with uh, Co'Keefe, Sam Schluter, and uh, the doctor, Calvin Swenson. Wow, yeah, so that's a, that's a, good, that's a good group. You've got, you've got one defender, and then uh, you've got uh, the best friend, uh, your three best friends to Muhammad Ibrahim, right? You three guys are uh, opening holes for the running back there. Yeah, pretty much. You know, the, the hope is at some point get us all lined up on one of the sides and then we can just go from there. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, academically, you've already got your degree. Um, your, your, you know, honors, all Big Ten, all that stuff. You are also a finalist or semifinalist for the William V. Campbell Trophy, which is given basically to the, you know, best student athlete football player in the entire country. You're one of, you know, I think each team has one. You've got you're the Gophers representative there. Um, take me through how important academics are and, and what you your future uh, holds in in terms of what you use that degree for yeah so i mean i i mean you know academics right we're student athletes so for me that's always been a very critical part of my career here at the university of minnesota uh so right i finished my degree in a human physiology and now i'm in a graduate program for public health administration and policy which uh you know with everything going on right now it's very it's a very contemporary study so it's uh, very enjoyable as far as academics are concerned yeah, I mean, right. So with all the resources we have to provide to us by the team, you know, it's they lay out a path for you to be successful, which I really appreciate. Uh, you know, moving forward, you know, I want to continue to see uh, there's been a lot of career exploration going on with uh, this current program that I'm in because it offers a very versatile set of skills. Uh, I've always fancied myself as a pre-med candidate, and I'm looking towards that path as well, uh, moving past football. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Could the NFL put that pre-med program on hold, though? I mean, you, you have graded out, as we mentioned. There's got to be NFL folks who like what they see from you. Or would you forego football and get right into med school? Absolutely. You know, if I can get that call, uh, then I'm certainly going to take my shot at the NFL here. But, you know, at this exact moment right now, I want to focus on college football and I want to focus on my academics. Uh, I like to take I like to take things uh, one step at a time. I think it's unfair to yourself to look forward in the future because you might miss something going on in the present. So as of right now, I just want to focus on this. And if that call happens afterwards, then that's something worth considering. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this yet, but it also sounds like we're likely allowed to come back for our sixth year. And, you know, I have every desire to do that, assuming that that is allowed. And so, you know, the NFL and med school for that matter, are still another year beyond in the future yeah got you well and that's great and you think about uh what football has meant you you if it all goes right you'd have six years you'd have a degree maybe an advanced degree uh all uh, because of football right yeah absolutely i mean it's a tremendous opportunity that football has afforded me i i, I never thought to myself you know as a high schooler that i was going to be still playing football and pursuing a graduate degree, that is. Uh, of course, uh, within the last week, your uh, teammate uh, that lines up on the wide receiver spot, Rashad Bateman, earned his waiver. He's back and going. Uh, I think that probably put a little extra pep in everybody's step for, for the moment. How good can this Gopher team be here in 2020, and how excited are you? We talked about that Michigan game, not just that game, but uh, but for this season. I think we're going to be terrific. I have full confidence in our offense. I mean, with Bate coming back, you know, we're likely going to have a uh, less tackle passes, which Sam was a little sad about. But otherwise, I mean, everyone's really happy. Everyone's ready to go. I mean, we're rearing. We're ready to go, you know. Uh, I believe we're supposed to be finished. We would have finished up week five just now in a regular season. So, I mean, guys are chomping at the bit to play some real football. And I know especially on the offensive side, I think that, you know, we're clicking on all cylinders right now. You know, obviously there's things we can do to get better, but guys are ready to go. I mean, the gas is in the tank. But we're ready to get rolling. 
That's Gopher offensive lineman Connor Olson and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Thank you.